0: Again, to have another conversation with you about some of the stories that matter. Folks, it is indeed a pleasure and it's an honor to be here with you to break down some of the issues and the topics that happened last night and happened over the weekend and happened last week. It gives us an opportunity here on this Monday to get through some of the stories that we've been thinking about from the elections that are taking place around the country tomorrow to the constant attacks on critical race theory that have not yet slowed up. What is actually happening with the debates around Roe v. Wade that's happening right now in the Supreme Court? What would happen if Roe v. Wade gets overturned? What do we do if people continue to quit their job rather than get vaccinated when it comes to certain positions? When we talk about nurses and police officers and firefighters and teachers, what will happen in this country if those jobs continue to open up? Who fills those very specialized positions? What does it say about us as a nation that we have this huge area that we can't seem to agree upon? At one point, the pushback around the COVID-19 vaccine, it was part of our daily conversation. People didn't want to be the first ones out. They didn't really understand it. Now, we're at a point where we're trying to figure out whether or not we've reached an impasse. At this point, it doesn't matter what we offer. We, in terms of the nation, they have offered money. They've offered time off, they've offered bonuses, they've offered trips, they've offered lottery tickets, like they've offered just about everything, free Krispy Kreme, donuts to oil changes. At this point, I think we need to recognize that if folks are not vaccinated, then giving them more things, offering them more incentives, that is not going to work. It is now an issue around their moral standing. They're not willing to, they'll quit that job first particularly when you have states like Florida where the governor is saying, you know what, if you can't be a cop where you're from, go ahead and come on down here. You can be a cop here in Florida. We'll give you a bonus, and you don't have to worry about your vaccination status down here. I think we've reached a very critical juncture in this country, and we need to figure out how we go forward from here. I also want to spend some time thinking about Dr. King's speech and the confusion that people have around that. I conducted an, an informal poll this weekend, just checking with young people around the country, young people that are in college, young people in high school. I was asking them, just really informally, what do they know about Dr. King? Since part of this whole pushback against critical race theory is they want to take Dr. King out of the curriculum as well. Dr. King, if they've completely whitewashed, they still feel like Dr. King's too radical, too black to teach about in school. Let's remove all teaching about black history. But as I checked a little bit closer, it turns out that young people are not as familiar with Dr. King as one would like to believe. I then said, you know, I have time. Let let me expand my study, my, my informal study, a little bit farther. I mean, then we do another ring around the circle. And so what I did at that point, I checked in with people who were old. I moved from millennials, millennials, and started talking to Xers. I'm like, okay, what do you know about King? They had a lot more information, but they really didn't have a full knowledge and understanding of Dr. King beyond the I Have a Dream speech of 1963. And then when I probed, when I poked... When I question what they knew about the I have a dream speech outside of I want a world where, you know, little black boys and little white girls and little white boys and little black girls can hold hands and my children can hold hands and everybody can be be free. Other than that, they did not know about the other parts of it, the other 75 percent where Dr. King talks about the blank check that America gave us, the check that has bounced because they're insufficient funds for this check around freedom, around justice, and around equality. He also talks about police brutality in that speech. So today, I want to talk about all of that and play clips by Dr. King. And I'm being joined by reporter Charles Robinson from Maryland Public Television, who's going to break down some of these issues with me. Charles, how are you?
1: I'm great, Dr. K. Sorry about that.
0: No problem. I'm happy to have you on the show. Happy to have you join us. So I want to begin uh, by talking to you, Charles, about Dr. King and about the legacy of Dr. King, because we understand that when Dr. King died, Dr. King was one of the most hated people or disliked. Maybe hate is too strong. Strongly disliked people uh, in this country. Uh, And that was not just In the white community, it was also within the black community. Black folks had gotten frustrated and fed up, particularly black folks of his own generation. They were fed up. They were frustrated. Those who were older, they said Dr. King would swoop in, get folks stirred up, and then he would have to swoop out and they would be left to deal with the the fallout from that. Of what it meant to remain in this city when Dr. King has come in to stir things up. Additionally, there were people at that time that felt, look, you're, you're giving all the credit to Dr. King. There are a lot of folks here on the ground that you're not talking about the nameless, faceless foot soldiers. So Dr. King was not loved like he is today when he was assassinated. Can you talk a bit about the intentional work that was done? by you know, Coretta Scott King that then fed over into the media that whitewashed Dr. King and made him respectable and made him accepted.
1: Well, it's interesting that uh, you bring this conversation up on an election eve in uh, several states, and um, I think there is this unique, if you will, kind of three, maybe four faces of Dr. King and his life. Uh, one is that, you know, um, at the time that he was thrust into the limelight, um, he and others, uh, you know, I think of uh, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth as well, and others, and how they were kind of wading into waters, that they really didn't know what was underneath the surface. or well, they did, but they knew that the individuals who were trying to hold on to power were not going to give that up easily. Additionally, as you've already indicated, there are women who were part of the movement that were not necessarily in front of the cameras, but were doing the hard work on the ground, i.e. registering voters, i.e. making sure that there was a cohesive plan put in place. And then there were people like western um uh, uh, Western Baker who you know was an organizer but people didn't want him out front because of his um his sexuality and I think all of those things uh worked not necessarily in tandem but got us to a point where you know we many i i I know for me, you know, growing up in this city, um, I was aware that I am black and not everybody likes me. Uh, there were places across this country, especially in history books, I know having grown uh, born, being born in Virginia, uh, there was slight shrift given to uh, the accomplishments of African Americans. And so on this Eve of an election day, and you know it's one of my favorite days, Dr. King.
0: Mm-hmm. That's why that. I want to get into that next. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Because you know, um, if you want to change a society, you begin with that simple act of going to a poll and pulling a lever and filling out a form. It was not commonplace. And I never, ever take it for granted. You know, I had an interesting conversation with one of my colleagues who is in the news business who told me she didn't vote. And I said, I can't afford to do that. She goes, well, I don't want to sway. I was like, no, you don't understand. My grandparents did not have that right. So the vote is sacred to me. But with that said, what young people need to know, I think, not just only, I think they should read the I Have a Dream speech, but go to the first part of the speech mm-hmm. to hear what King begins with. And then go to the end and see how he ends that speech. But, you know, I always point to the letter from Birmingham jail, mm-hmm. which is probably the most significant piece of writing, I believe, that came out of I also would point to the Riverside speech. where he condemns the Vietnam War. I also remind people that don't just read his words. See if you can live out his life. I mean, that is probably the most difficult part. Could you or would you be willing to sacrifice everything for not just truth, but justice? And that, that's not going to be a slogan or a hashtag or an Instagram picture. Could you live out that life? Because that life is difficult. It would be as if one of your friends said, you know what, you're a fool and I ain't listening to you. Could you continue on in that vein? Would you be willing to say you're wrong when everybody else says, your are right. That is, that is living out King's legacy so that it is not just words on a piece of paper, not a video that you saw, but you'd be willing to sacrifice it all.
0: I think that's interesting because when I think about Dr. King, I, I always try to remind young people when I'm teaching about Dr. King, that Dr. King was human. And there are some aspects of Dr. King's life that that I reject. I fully reject today. I reject, you know, many of his comments that were sexist comments. I'm like, hey, during that time period as a pastor, when you listen to the stories of Dr. King from, say, Dr. Dorothy Iheite, listening to her perspective of being around the table, and the comments that were made about women, particularly about women stepping to the mic, made by Dr. King, I'm like, you know what? i, I got some things I'm rejected. So what I am willing to live out from Dr. King is the same challenge that Malcolm X had to live out, Ella Baker had to live out, Rosa Parks had to live out. What does it mean to hold fast to these ideals, knowing that our country probably won't meet those ideals? And even more importantly, you probably won't either. But we keep striving to try to make things better, even if it's not for us, it's for the next generation. And it's that type of sacrifice that when I put all of them on the table, including Claudette Coven, whose name should be cleared— But what happened to her when she was 15, when she set the stage for the Rosa Parks that came after her, it's like I look at that level of commitment of that generation and saying, you know what, knowing that you can leave and you might never come back home, knowing that, you know, when you got stabbed, the thing that kept you alive is that you didn't sneeze because a sneeze could have ended it all, but also knowing that you had Coretta Scott King at home who was lifting up the family so you could become, quote, Dr. King.
1: I think all those things are appropriate. Are, are you know, no one should, should get into what I call hero worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, look, everybody has flaws. Even, hey, yours truly has flaws. You, know? you have
0: flaws? Charles,
1: wait a minute. Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> Robinson will tell you about that. <laughs> but but, but, but what, I, what I hope those young people... Um, get from this is what I call the sense of purpose, because you know the I Heights and and others and you know and uh, to give you an example, you know I was a big uh, I still am a big fan of Carmine uh, Kirma who was known as Sturgill Michael in my lifetime, because I got the idea that the term Black Power frightened the heck out of people. Okay. <laughs> Um, I was a fan of Huey Newton, but Newton's lifestyles towards the end appalled me. Okay. So, you know, yes, we, we, we take those things which move us in ways that get us to that greater purpose. And if we can do that, for our young people, to move them to a place that gives them a greater purpose. You know, um, as a young man, you know, I thought I could be some great athlete. And at some point, guess what? That that dream comes to an end, whether we want it to or not. And, and I used some of the things that got me to that point in my athletic career, to engage me on a different level, intellectually, when I got to that next thing I wanted to do. Understand, black folks are not stagnant. <laughs> they are constantly moving. And if I can, if we can convince people to stop being stagnant right. and move and don't wait for it to happen, but to make it happen then I think, I think we've done our right work
0: with the Well, then that leads us into this election coming up tomorrow. There are, there's a lot at stake with these elections that are happening around the country. And the one I am definitely keeping my eye on is what's happening down in Virginia. Uh, and what would happen, like, you know, we know the last time Democrats lost Virginia, they lost about 60 seats along with that. So Virginia is where the eye is turned now, and whether or not what's been happening with the failure to pass this trillion-dollar package, whether that's going to spill over and show up in the polls. Can you talk about what's taking place in Virginia, and then we'll go through the other elections from there?
1: Well, let's begin with uh, that old Tip O'Neill adage, all elections are local, (laughs) whether you like them or not, you know. So, uh, Virginia is in this unique position. It has had to, uh, it has had a Democratic government for the last two cycles, and the next uh, potential Virginia governor, Terry uh, McAuliffe, was a former governor of the state. I, I found it very, very curious during this this election cycle, if you will that the, the last part of the race has turned on uh, critical race theory, which you I know you've discussed this often on, on this show, that this whole idea that somehow that's being taught to kids, which is the biggest lie that I've ever heard, because that is not something that is taught. Uh, and, and then to turn it on this idea that a the book by a Poets of Pride, the author, Tony Morrison, beloved, is somehow going to make white kids, you know, feel less of themselves. I'm going like, that is the, well, I can't say what I want to say, but, you know, it is, it is, it is hyperbole at best and is a marker at worst because it is a dog whistle. It is this idea Uh, To give an example, I I was, you know, in anticipation of this, I had seen a piece about, uh, from woman who wrote 1619, Nicole Hannah-Jones, about Loudoun County. And Loudoun County, I think she indicated, was about 98, 96% white. And so, there ain't a whole lot of black folks who are going to be whooping in Hollywood there anyway. And that somehow... If only uh, these white kids won't feel like their lives were in vain. I'm going like, when did y'all stop telling me that that was going to be a problem? (laughs) And so that has spilled over into this campaign. But let me get into the nuts and bolts of this campaign real quick. First and foremost, it's obvious this, this race is going to be built on turnout. I think the three things that you want to watch is you want to see, you want to see what the early tolls on are because they've been voting Virginia, I think for the last two to two weeks for early voting, and most people who are if you will will engaged in the political process have already voted. the people you see at the polls tomorrow are not indicative of who i I believe they're not indicative of people who turn out, but there is somehow a new mantra that Republicans turn out in Election Day. I would eventually say that that is not totally true, but there will be some people who will vote. The other part is you want to look at uh, three strongholds in, that, in, the, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The first is in Richmond. The second, well, actually, the first is actually down in the Tidewater We're talking North of Hampton, Virginia Beach, and those areas to see what that turnout is like. The other, of course, is in Northern Virginia, which is around, uh, Loudoun, Alexandria, and, and, the, and those cities. I think one of the, the unseen stories in this race is the race for lieutenant governor, because at, after tomorrow, there will be a historic move. There are two women vying to be the lieutenant governor of uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. That's Delegate Hallie I.R. Uh, who's running on the Democratic ticket she hails you know, from Northern Virginia? And there's a black woman by the name of Winsome Sears, um, uh, who was a former Republican in the uh, House of Delegates there. Those are two of the races that you want to keep an eye out for. So that's part of Virginia and, uh, and part of that story that I'll be watching tomorrow.
0: So do you think some of the things that are coming out, uh, particularly about the, the governor's race? I know all politics are local. Um, But but this particular race, there is an indication, there's a feeling, there's a, a belief that this particular race will have national implications in ways that, say, getting a new governor in Maryland would not, having a new governor in Minnesota would not. But Virginia in particular, there is a sense that if the Democratic candidate, the governor, loses in Virginia, it could portend a shift. In terms of the power structure in this country, I mean, it's kind of balanced now, but as Joe Biden said, when you have a 50 50 split, everybody's a president, right? Because everybody can stop things from moving forward in the Senate. But if you start shifting it too far over to the right, you can have, you could potentially have what happened under President Obama a concerted well, effort to block everything that came out, whether it was a good idea or not.
2: Well,
1: I think. You know, this will not shift the dynamics in the congressional race. That's a little bit of hyperbole, if you will. But what it will begin to show, it'll show you. A, it'll either show you a, it will show you a path forward from both political parties. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I thought Youngkin, the Republican candidate, uh, was savvy about was not allowing Trump. To you know, come into the to 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 the state and essentially gin up the uh, the electorate. Um, I think most people across this country uh, know that the former president can can bring out your opposition more than anything else. So uh, there is a rally later this evening somewhere in the Virginia. I can't even exactly where, but uh, that people are going to uh, be looking at and to see if uh, that brings the turnout out. I mean, well, it's-
0: now, now Charles, I got to stop you there. I got to put a hard pause on you. When we come back from the break, I want to have you finish that up, and I want you to talk about what's happening in New York with that okay. race as well. We'll talk more about this, and then we're going to get into critical race theory. We're going to get into Let's Go Branded and what that means. We'll talk about all of this when we return from the break.
2: the devotees of civil rights when will you be satisfied we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality we can never be satisfied as long as our bodies heavy with the fatigue of travel cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote, and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote.
0: Welcome back to today with Dr. Kim, Dr. K-Y-S-Y. I'm Dr. K Y S Y. Here playing just clips from Dr. King's. Very famous speech at the March on Washington. People call it the I Have a Dream speech because they're referring to the end of it. But in that speech, he talks about the ways in which we should not be satisfied with crumbs and instead continue the fight. The fight he spoke about in 1963 is the fight we're still having in 2021. It's not about taking down the for colored only or for whites only signs. It's about getting to that balance, about making our voice Heard, it's about making this country hold true and fast to its foundational documents as it pertains to black and brown folks in this country. I'm still joined by Maryland Public Television reporter, correspondent, Charles Robinson. Charles, how are you? Thank you for staying with us.
1: No problem. So, you know, what are you... we... go, ahead. go ahead. No, please. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, um, it's interesting to hear King's words today. In the sense that you know, he foretells the problems that we're going to have, and and I think that you know, in this, if you will, election cycle, you know, a number of these issues come up. You know, you know, we've already talked about Virginia, but in uh, Minneapolis, there is a major push to reform the police department, and a lot of you know, we talk about bellwethers about. What do you see and where are you seeing things that are on the ground? And Minneapolis is one of those those cities that I'm going to be watching because there is an, a ballot initiative on police reform. And, and you know, you and I were together, when we met Keith Ellison. And, um, you know, and we knew Keith was a smart guy. But, you know, Ellison and others of his ilk has, have come to the simple conclusion the way we're doing policing is not effective. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. <laughs> and I think that that is one of those elections that you want to watch as well of, of how the citizenry of Minneapolis is going to deal with policing in that city.
0: But then w- with that in mind, if that is on the ballot, then what we're talking about quite possibly it is a mandate, or on police reform. I know that when I pull uh, the FBI data to take a look at what the FBI and the lies that have been told about what's happening with policing, one lie that's being told about police is that, oh, you know, there's not enough money because we are defunding the police. There's a problem when, in fact, it's been just the opposite. In Baltimore City as well, where actually more money was put into policing. So are we actually quite possibly seeing a reform on policing is that gonna get by
1: I don't know and and, and it, it and for some folks it's frightening you know and in the in the sense that you know i I've heard this bizarre argument you know we can't live without police and I asked this the, the Congress can we live with police mm. and I think that You know, that, that converse statement, can we live with police is a more difficult question to answer because that means that you have to have a conversation. You can't, you know, it's not military tactics, you know, you know, we, you know, because a lot of policing comes from military tactics, you know, you know, round them up, you know, uh, Now we put them, you know. I don't need to go into the many things that go into that, but that's that's one of those things that you know is in the background, you know, of all the other things that are going on, you know, between the, you know, the COVID, between the, you know, uh, you know how we get this economy going again. But you know, at the end, like I said, I go back to that Tip O'Neill thing. (laughs) All politics are local. And, uh, you know, so uh, we can go on about some other places. I, I know you want to talk about New York City, but do you mind if I talk about Boston real quick?
0: Yes, go ahead. Talk about Boston, then we'll get into New York and what's yeah. happened with okay. so the next race. Boston,
1: is, Boston has a black mayor <laughs> at this point, but I think she's going to get replaced by this uh, Asian woman, uh, Blue, and, I, and let me just check the correct name, the first name. But, but it's interesting because there, there is this, if you will, interesting dynamics in black politics because I write about black politics across America and, and what you see is I don't want to call it discounting but authenticity. I.e. is your story authentic? Anyone who decides to run, I believe, anyone who decides to run for the public office should have an authentic story. Right. Well, sometimes it's carved around the edges. But I think electorates across this country are looking for authenticity. And this is a question of are there, you know, you know we do a lot of racial uh, politics when it comes to I'm going to vote for the black person or right. I'm going to vote for the Latino person. Uh, but I think there's a sophistication that is going on in the black electorate that we're just not going to vote for somebody because they're black. You know, that went out years ago. But Ken, I think that's because we've
0: been burned a couple of times. Let's not forget that today is the anniversary of the day that uh, Clarence Thomas took the bench. So I think we've been burned <laughs> enough to know that all skin folk ain't kin folk.
1: That's true. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I put the butt in there is, is that if you don't have authenticity and and understand for all the folks who dislike Clarence Thomas and the folks who like Clarence Thomas, his authenticity came from his uh grandfather and how his grandfather saw the world. And That is a conservative approach, if you will, to how he approaches life. Just an idea.
0: Yeah, but I mean, but 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 okay, all right. So then, (laughs) then I need to push back a little bit because I understand his conservative approach to life. Okay, granted, we understand that the grandfathers can't have an influence. I also know that he benefited from affirmative action. I mean, that, that, that was funding that helped him to get his law degree and move him along. So you, you can have an experience. You also understand what it's like to need money to finish and being a part of that. I understand his grandfather, but what about the comments to Anita Hill? Because I believe her.
2: <laughs> I,
1: and, and, and once again, I go back to this, you know, um, in most cases, Justin, judges aren't elected, Okay. okay. They're appointed. So how you spin that story is is you know can put you in places and put you literally on the bench of the Supreme Court. Right. But uh, let's go. You want to go to New York City?
0: Let's go to New York City. I mean, but but cause I think that but 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 I think. In going to New York not, City. I, I am, I, I think I am in not going to be able to
1: understand Clarence Thomas, I want everybody to get that. Right. I right. am just trying to give you a perspective right. of how they see that world.
0: Right. And, and I and I get that. I think that when you talked about how black folks do we are no longer just, you know, using our finger, closing our eyes and sticking it on the black person and pulling the lever. Like we're no longer doing that. I think that that I think that we're a lot more and I'm speaking about our community as a whole. I think we are a lot more savvy. I think we're a lot more critical. I think we understand what is at stake, particularly when it comes to black women and the ways in which we get inside that booth and we make calculated decisions. It was a calculated decision to support Joe Biden when up on the stage with him were candidates of color and women to say, no, no, not Kamala, no, no, not Cory Booker, no, no, not, and you can just continue in the vein there and say, so, you know, we're going to throw our support behind the white man who was vice president for Barack Obama, but who knows where all the bodies are buried. And we're going to throw our support because we believe that we're going to be able to get the most from his presidency. That, that's the kind of savvy political thinking that I think we bring to the table now.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, I I think the other part of that is not just the sophistication of today's black voters, but the challenge of, if you will, to get something for our vote. You know, uh, because there have been charges left and right about what do we get from our vote. I've heard your callers say this often. On the radio, what are we getting for our vote? And I think how you both interpret that and whatever that request is has to be very nuanced because you know um, if you if you aren't getting what you want, then you need to make that known too. Because if you don't, you end up with a See, I told you so. And so let us be clear that you should get something for your vote. And not only should you get something for it, those who fail to heed that request should also pass.
0: I'm not sure. And, folks, I want to say I want to invite you to give us a call, 410-319-8888. Give us a call. I am not sure if we are getting... the the bang back for our buck when it comes to President Biden. I know that it's still early on. Everyone's like, give him a chance. We're still early. He's trying to make this work. But some of the things that we thought would be right on the table immediately, you know, in that first 100 days when you're able to push things past, things that we had thought they're not on the table. They're not spending a lot of time talking about reparations. and I not a lot of time talking about student loan forgiveness. But I spent a lot of time on those issues that were seemed to be at the top of the agenda prior to his election. Or, or did we read that the wrong way?
1: I don't think we read it the wrong way. You know, it's the old, when politics needs to world, uh, you know, there, there's, you know, if there's anything I know about politics, and it's one thing, and that's I can count, and because if you can't count, I'm gonna tell you how you're gonna lose. And I've seen politicians who fail to heed that that adage of "Can you count?" Because if you don't, you know, I, I always remind uh, my friends who want to run for, you know, uh, you know, county council or, or maybe the fraternal organizations do you know who your opposition is? They go, why, why should I know who the opposition is? Because you want to know where the no votes are. Right. Because it's easy to find yes votes. And and you do want to, and what the other question you need to ask is, who's persuadable? And what do you need to do to persuade them? So, um, but that, that, that's just one of the many things. But, but we did try. Do you want to go to phone calls or do you just want me to just keep going?
0: No, 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 no. But because I, I think that part of what we're getting into, um, and we will go to phone calls, phone calls are coming in. But part of what we're getting into is the ways in which we can leverage the black vote. Because I think that's important. Charles, to talk about, not just watching the oh, yeah. elections around the country, which I agree with and we are watching. We are watching that that New York City you know, is on a threshold of probably getting his second black mayor in history, that like, we are watching as Eric Adams is probably going to be moving in that direction. We're taking a look at the ways in which in Virginia, critical race theory and, and beloved are on the ballot. But beyond that, I think that as black folks, we need to really start thinking about the power of our vote and leveraging our vote and understanding what that looks like in every single election and not just the elections where there are people that look like us.
1: I would agree because one of the things that that you learn very quickly is coalition building. Right. You know, um, it's, it, you know, if you do the simple math, there aren't enough black votes to get you a president, which means you have to sew together parts that don't necessarily like each other mm-hmm. <laughs> together wow. to get to that point. And um, people don't necessarily agree with that concept, but sometimes, you know, you know, what's that adage goes, you know, um, strange bedfellows.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. but I, I think we know how to, I would argue that we know how to play that game very well. I mean, you think of, of all the presidents, we've only had one black man. I do not count Bill Clinton as an honorary black president. I'm saying we've only had one black man to be president. I think black folks know how to coalition build, how, how to compromise, right. how, how to put aside our own personal needs for the greater good. I want to ask you folks to, to chime in. What do you think? How do we leverage the black vote? Because the elections tomorrow we are getting ready for the elections coming up, midterm elections, and down the road for the next president of the United States. We have Donna on the phone from Baltimore. Donna, how are you?
3: Hey. How are you doing, Dr. Kay? Hey, how are you, Donna? Oh, pretty good. Um, and, and your guest? Um, Charles uh, Robinson. Yes. Hi, Mr. Robinson. Yes. Um, two, there are two things that I've seen um, in uh, now analyzing for the last couple of years in Baltimore, for example— we uh, we had districts, um, the poorest of our districts have, we've lost population either due to murder or um, due to um, the opiate and other drug addiction overdoses. So our population declined. And our when well, we redistrict every 10 years, a lot of our districts are shrinking. So the black leadership, like our black delegation, like the slave delegation, has also shrunk. And um, and the, the problem I have is we have black in the last 30 years, we've had black leadership that there was no authenticity. They got in because of their parents names, or their, you know, or who people knew or, you know, they know they did favor for whatever. So but the communities itself that they were supposed to represent never moved. So we still have this intergenerational poverty in these centralized communities. So when you deal with black leadership in politics, you have to, we have to get black politicians that not just say, I'm going to do, they have to do. Because black people want action now. They're tired of the promises from the last 30 years of, um, I'm going to you know, put me in as a delegate, or senator, and I'm going to do, and you see your district still proceeds with um drugs, crime, and, um, as, as, you know, 3,000 3, murders every 10 years. So I wanted you guys to talk about that because of leadership. If Black politics, Blacks who want to lead and go into politics, don't do anything to correct the problems in the community, we're just seeing the cycle. That's why Blacks want action. They're tired of the same, you know, I got in because of my grandfather. Or whatever. We have to start seeing more changes. And I'm really appalled to see the maps, the redistricting maps, where our districts have shrunk even more now in Baltimore City. And we're losing our black delegation because of this, because the population changes. And I wanted you guys to talk about it, and I up and listen. And thanks, Dr. Thank K. you so
0: much, Donna. I appreciate you, Charles. So I'm going to put that in your hands. You just kind of take a stab at what, what Donna was laying out for us.
1: Well, a combination of things. Uh, Donna, Donna, first of all, thank you very much um, Every year, every 10 years, the lines are redrawn. Uh, as you uh, have alluded to, the city of Baltimore has lost population. Conversely, if you will, Baltimore County has gained population because a lot of the folks who were in the city have moved to the county. In fact, uh, there is an effort underway you know, on the west side of Baltimore County to have one of those districts redrawn because it does not allow for a, uh, well, it has one majority black district in Baltimore County, but they believe that it should be a second one. I don't disagree with that. I think that the issue of who do you get to make a change, it depends upon, if you will, in my opinion, that, you have to kind of cultivate it from the ground up. Um, you know, uh, I, I you know I coined a phrase a long time ago called polyester politician. You know, this comes from the '70s, um, where you know you assume that you should be the next whatever councilman or, or mayor or vice mayor or whatever. You know. Uh, it was probably illustrated best in Mahogany, uh, the film that starred Diane Ross right. and uh, Billy D. Williams, that your authenticity is not given. It is earned. And until pockets of various communities are able to kind of scratch that authenticity out from those things that you, um, you, you don't often see. You know, I was asked last week uh, by um, a religious leader, Charles, who are the biggest influencers in the city of Baltimore? Do you know I only have one politician on that list? Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you it was not the mayor and it was not the state attorney. Okay. Is and, that
0: a list that you're sharing, or we have to wait until no, you come? No, I'm gonna hold off right okay. now. Okay,
1: but but and 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 the reason why I suggested it to this religious leader, and he agreed with me. He was like, "Yeah, oh, hadn't thought about it quite like that." And and I think that's how politics works, if you will, or at least has in my lifetime. That. You have to have what I call hollerers and screamers. And after you have the hollerers and screamers, you gotta have somebody down on the ground doing some actual work. And my problem continues to be there are very few workers, but I meet a whole lot of hollerers and screamers.
0: Mm, I like that she said that. Man, I, I can't wait till this list comes out. I got questions about this list. I got questions about who are the influencers on the list and how do you get on the list? Wait, that's what I'm trying to find out. What do I need to do to get on the list? <laughs> uh, we have Anthony on the phone from Baltimore County. Anthony, how are you?
1: Make a comment in relation to... Uh uh, Mr. Robinson's comment in reference to Baltimore County splitting the one one district that we do have uh, on the west side, District 4. My point is, why should we settle for two potential African-American council reps when there are four councilmatic districts with more than 50% percent african Americans that vote? You're getting no an argument out of me. Uh, okay. I mean, in the sense that, one, you've got to understand the population. There are, there are basically three issues that determine where new uh, legislative districts and, uh, if you will, uh, be it at the county council level or the state level and the delegate level all the way up to the congressional level. That the first is population the second is um, uh, cohesiveness, in the sense that uh, you know how does this impact the broader the broader community, and 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 thirdly, is the will of the people. Uh, so as you saw, I mean, there was a concerted effort that you know one is not enough. We would like two. Now, if you want four, then you and your cohorts need That's to get together to make that argument. Because I can't make that argument. I can, I can look at the population poll and, you and, and proceed to say, well, the population moved. Well, see, my Hold
0: on, Anthony, let him finish. Go ahead. And then Anthony will come right back to you. Uh,
1: that maybe there was a shift in population from around the Woodlawn, Lockhearn area, to further out on Randallstown Road, and it moved over to Orleans Mills. And it moved over even further into the Towson area. But I can't make that argument. You've got to make that argument.
0: All right, Anthony? Okay, Anthony's no longer with us so so with that in mind um before we wrap up here uh, there's another phone call coming and we'll get that with that in mind as we wrap up here i was looking and there are a lot of black folks running for offices around the country. Cleveland, Ohio, has two black candidates who are running to succeed. Former U.S. Representative Marsha Fudge, who I love. Marsha Fudge is now, of course, she's been confirmed as Secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development in the Biden administration, happened earlier this year. Uh, Anthony just called back. I wanted to give Anthony a chance to respond. Anthony, how are you?
1: Okay, my thoughts my are, and the ideas are, the cohorts should actually be the Democratic Party, if they truly have our best interests at heart, mm-hmm. because no, it's the Democrats it's that make that, It's got to be you. It's got to the, be the, the, the African-American vote. All, the 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 American American. American.
0: all right, so I got to stop you there. I'm telling you, Charles, let me know. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, sure. today. And we want to get some feedback from you after we get through tomorrow <laughs> about what does it mean once we take a look at everything that's happened so far.
1: The last district you want to watch is Al Hastings, old seat down in Florida. A good friend of mine is running to be the congressman that would succeed him down there.
0: All right. We're pulling for him. Thank you so much, Charles Robinson, who's a political correspondent for a senior correspondent for Maryland Public Television. Thank you so much, folks. We're going to hold it here for just a moment. When we come back, let's open it up to you. What do you think about what's going around going on around the country? What's up with Let's Go Brandon? What about the attacks on critical race theory and how that's on the agenda? We have a lot of things to talk about right after the break.